And so, church, as we do that and as we um, take advantage of that opportunity to give, remember that you can give online as well. Many people take advantage of that. And you can go to our website, trinityallenwood.com, for all kinds of information and resources. And all of the, um, the sermons are loaded on there. And uh, the weekly podcast that I get to record with a Pastor Dave from down the road, another local pastor. Uh, we record every Thursday, and so we find that wherever you find your podcast, it's called So What? Those are also on the website. So you can go to the website to do a lot of things, uh, not just give, but uh, as many things that you can use that for, and so I'd encourage you to do that. Um, and so I just want to recap where we are, because even as the next generation gets to go down the hall and have their time of worship and the Word, we're going to do that here as well. So we have been looking at... Uh, the prophet Habakkuk. And um, I've really enjoyed this study. It's only three chapters, and we only have a couple more weeks left in it because we actually start chapter 3 today. But Habakkuk is quite an interesting fellow, isn't he? And if you've been following along, whether you've been able to be here on Sunday or listening online at the website, what we recognize is that Habakkuk has this great back and forth, this really uh, intense, uh, emotional uh, and deep time with God where he gets real. And it's one of the reasons I would just sort of title this for real God because there is this back and forth between Habakkuk and God where Habakkuk is asking him these questions about what's going on in the world around him. See, he was in from the, the, the southern tribes of Judah and they were about to be overcome and overtaken by the evil Babylonians who would then bring them into exile. And we know that's a a very important part of the Old Testament story. And so Habakkuk is writing during that time, right in between when the northern tribe, um, Israel, was uh, taken captivity by the Assyrians. And then his tribe uh, in Judah, the southern tribes, are about to be captured and taken over by the Babylonians. And so God is giving him this oracle, it says at the very beginning of Habakkuk, this, this message, this word, to give to the people... But really, it's a little different than what we've seen from all the other prophets because it's not just God saying to Habakkuk, go tell the people that I'm about to judge them and need to repent. It's really Habakkuk talking to God and God talking to Habakkuk. So that's kind of what I want our our focus theme to be today. How do you talk to God? How do you interact with God and His Word? Because, you know, we talk a lot about the Bible and we, we preach through books of the Bible And we study the Bible. Why? Because it is the very Word of God, we believe. That it is the way that He has revealed Himself to us primarily. And so Habakkuk has this this real intense interaction with the very words of God. But what does that look like for us today? Because we don't just sort of drive in our car and talk to God. We can do that, but does He talk back audibly to you? And if, if he does, we can talk after, and you can sort of talk to me. But, but God does, through his Holy Spirit, he prompts us, and in a way can talk to us and move us, so in a way that is a real thing, because our God is a very relational God, and he loves to talk to us and, and reveal himself to us, but he has done that through his word, see? And so that is first and foremost where we start, and that is the truth. And so that, it really is in essence what Habakkuk has done. Through his conversations, he has wrestled with God and these really hard questions. See, Habakkuk has questioned God in the chaos of his life and of his time. Because he saw, he saw the wickedness of his own people. 
He saw the infidelity. He saw um, the injustice of the people in his own tribe, the very um, the, the righteous people of God. But then he also saw it in the nations around him. So just sort of recapping where we are, if you remember, uh, we see in chapter 1 that Habakkuk starts out with this question, God, like when are you going to do something about what's going on here? I feel like, like you're just an absentee father, like you don't even care what's going on. And, and then God answers him and says, oh, my son, like I am doing something. Remember that? He says, I am doing something and I'm doing something in your day right now. And even if I told you what it was, you wouldn't believe it. And then he tells Habakkuk, he says, okay, but I'm going to tell you anyway because you asked and you're my, my servant. And so I'm going to use the Babylonians in, in my, my, uh, my will to judge the righteous people because they've been disobedient. And then Habakkuk says, no, I don't believe it, God. I can't believe that you would do that and you would use such a people. And so he goes on with God and then God says, yes, but I am going to use them, but I'm also going to judge them. And then where we end up now in chapter 3 is quite unique. Because what it is, is it's really a song. I had mentioned before that Habakkuk sort of reads like a psalm. If you ever read read through any of the psalms, you can see there's a lot of similarities here. But especially chapter 3, church, is very different from the first two chapters where we see this back and forth conversation, really intense conversation between Habakkuk and his God, questioning God and the chaos of all that was around him. But now this is Habakkuk's final response. It is a song. It is a song of praise to God. For he has finally realized through all of that struggle, yes, I do know this God. I know your works. Would you do it again now here? Do all those things now, but have mercy on me. And so like any good song or praise, it starts with a prayer. So today we're just going to look at two verses. You know, sometimes we, 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 we brought up big chunks of Scripture and we see the themes in there in the context of what is written today. It's just the first two verses of Habakkuk. So it's Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And I'd like to read it. I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it slowly. It'll be up on the screen for you. But this is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It is his brief but profound prayer before the song that he sings back to God in praise. So we're going to look at that song over the next two weeks. So here is the beginning of that time, and it is a prayer. Because don't we know as believers that we are really to begin everything we do for the Lord in prayer? We say Sometimes we say we bathe it in prayer, right? We we envelop it with prayer. And so that's what he does. So here's his simple prayer. It says first, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigi Onith. And I'll explain that in a, in a couple minutes. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. That's all there is. That's the prayer of Habakkuk. And then he begins this song, which we'll look at over the next two weeks. But today we're looking at that prayer. In many ways, it is a model for prayer, the way that we should approach God. But it also reveals something significant about how he has wrestled with the Word of God. For him, it was the very Word of God. He also knew written Word, but he then recognizes right at the beginning, I have heard the report of you. 
And, and he says, God, I, I yes, I know who you are. I have heard of your renown and your fame and your marvelous, awesome, mighty, fearful works. And so then he says, would you do those things again? But could you do them like, like now, in my time? Like, like, like now. And then he says, but, but when you do, can you just be a little merciful? Do you ever come to God like that? I think this is even more so than just a model of prayer. It's a great example of how we can all come to God, no matter what the situation is. First, recognizing who he is and all of his, his wonderful, marvelous works that we see in his word and what he's done in our life. Remembering those. But then we say, God, can you do that again? Because I, I kind of really need it right now. That's what Habakkuk says. He says, okay, God, yes, you have done all these things. And I'm sorry I have forgotten. And in this wrestling, I've been reminded how good you are. But God, can you just kind of give us a repeat of that? An encore of, the, of your good works. Can you do it, God? Because we really need you to show up now. And then he says, but God, just be merciful when you do it. Because you're like an awesome, mighty God. So can you be merciful? And, and that's the, really the, the flow and context of this prayer. And so we're going to look at each of those a bit. But really what I want us to see is not only is it a way to approach God in a way that we can um, uh, you know, model our prayer, but I also want to see this. Let's see, Habakkuk has interacted with the Word of God, the very Word of God. He has wrestled and struggled with the Word of God. And we see that in, in other people in the Scriptures too. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God? We see that. We, we see the Apostle Paul wrestling so much with what's going on and what God has allowed him to go through. You know, I was reading yesterday, being reminded of that passage we saw in Acts where, where he was beaten almost to death. You remember that? And, and he was stoned and they were dragging him out of the marketplace. You remember that? Can you imagine that happening to us and how we would react? How many times was he in jail and, and he was in jail and what, we, what would he do? He would pray and sing. And he would sing praises to God. And so in a way, Habakkuk has given us that same example that he is wrestling with God because he doesn't understand all of what God is allowing to happen in his world. Do we feel like that? When we read the news, you go through your news feed or you see what's going on, you're like, God, for real? Like, this is what you're going to allow to happen? Like, when, God? When? Have mercy on them. They don't know what they're doing, but when, God? Because I know you've done it in the past. Will you bring revival? Can you do it like here and now? And maybe it should start with me. And that's the way we should come before him. And, and God, when you're bringing your will, just be a little merciful. Because <laughs> we know how great and awesome you are. And so we've seen that many times throughout the scriptures. And, and so this is what we see from Habakkuk. That he has come to this point through his interaction with God's word, it has transformed him. He has been reminded of who God is, and he then appropriately praises God for all of his goodness. And church, that is very simply the message for today. How do we interact with the word of God? Do we read God's word and pray for transformation? Do we struggle with it? Do we interact with it where we're reading it over and over, we meditate on it, and we're like, God, I don't understand what this means, or God, could you really be calling me to do this? I don't understand this, and we wrestle with it. But do we come to the point where we say, yes, God, you are good, and I need to praise you for it. No matter what's going on, I'm going to praise you. And you'll see in a couple of weeks when we end the whole look at, at this book, 
Probably the most beautiful part of the whole book is the last three verses. But really, this is what's leading up to it. It's, it's a song that he is singing of praise to God because he was questioning God in the chaos and God allowed him to do that. God allows you to struggle. He allows you that back and forth with him. It's okay when you read the word or when you're praying and you're not getting that answer that, that, that you believe you should get or when you should get it. Remember what God says earlier to Habakkuk? He says, if you feel like it's taking a little too long, just wait a little bit longer. But see, it's okay to have that back and forth. That's really the overarching uh, lesson and theme that we can glean from, from Habakkuk is that it's okay to question God in the chaos and ask him, say, for real, God. But then this is where the prophet Habakkuk ends up. He ends up by this simple prayer. God, I, I've heard the report of you, meaning like, I have heard of your renown and all the things that you've done and, and your work, Lord, I fear it, which means he, he has reverence for it. He's not afraid, but he's got this great fear and reverence for what God has done. And he says, in the midst of the years, revive it. What he means is like in the midst of what's going on now, like in my time, like today, can you bring that back? Those awesome works. But he says it again. He like repeats it in case God didn't hear it, I guess. The first time, in the midst of the years, make it known. So not only do it again, but make it known. God, because you're awesome. You are the one true God. You're the best God, the only God there is. So let everybody know it. Do you ever feel like that where you just, you recognize that there are so many people around. They're just so lost and you recognize, God, just make yourself known. Like, use me. But God, can you do just a revival and this marvelous work to let everybody know who you are? God, you want to continue to let your name be profaned and, and people mocking you? But of course, God says he won't be mocked. But we feel like that, right? Because we love him so much and we're like, God, how could this be? And we're your representatives. And God, there's even people in the churches that are misrepresenting you. And we see that all the time. And I mentioned in the first, the first message in this series that not only does he see Habakkuk, all of the issues and the problems and the deceit and the immorality uh, around him in the nations, but he sees it among his own people. And so before we start pointing the fingers and saying, look at what those people are doing, how about we kind of look here and we look at our church and the churches and the, the, the church of Jesus with a capital C around the world. How are we representing him to the people that are desperately lost and desperately need hope, whether they know it or not? And so that's what he is saying. But see, there is this great sense of interacting with his very word so that it would change us that we don't just gloss over the word of god and do our five minute devotional in the morning and read it and say okay i've got a little nugget and but the idea is we want to go deeper we want to struggle with it sometimes and, and let it let it marinate we meditate on it so that we can truly listen so we can truly digest the nutrients of the truth of the word of god one of my favorite um, preachers and, and, and writers of the Christian faith is Charles Spurgeon, uh, w- way back from uh, um, from the 1800s, back in in England. And um, you know, I, I have this devotional. It's called Morning and Evening. That is just a series of his messages, some of his sermons, those little devotionals, these little um, just sort of a, a brief, you know, sort of 
a thought about the word of Scripture. And he is such a great writer that every once in a while I come across one of these devotions that I just have to share with you. And so I'm going to read one, and it's going to be up on the screen because, remember, he's kind of using that, 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 um, that old English. But it just flows so well and it's so beautiful. But I think you'll really be able to capture the heart of what he's saying because it's so appropriate to what I think we're learning from Habakkuk today. So I want to read it. I'm going to read it slowly. But just be thinking and praying that God would maybe give you some, some words or phrases that would stick out to you. But here's what um, Spurgeon says, and he's using Psalm 119, verse 15, as sort of a, a jumping off point. Very simply, that verse says, I will meditate in thy precepts, meaning I'll, I'll think about your works, I'll read them, and I'll meditate on them. Look at what he says about that. His reflection is this. There are times when solitude is better than society. And silence is wiser than speech. We should be better Christians if we were more alone, waiting upon God, and gathering through meditation on His Word spiritual strength for labor in His service. We ought to muse upon the things of God because we thus get the real nutriment out of them. Truth is something like the cluster of the vine. If we would have wine from it, we must bruise it. We must press and squeeze it many times. The bruiser's feet must come down joyfully upon the bunches or else the juice will not flow. And they must well tread the grapes, or else much of the precious liquid will be wasted. So we must, by meditation, tread the clusters of truth, if we would get the wine of consolation therefrom. See, our bodies are not supported by merely taking food into the mouth, But the process which really supplies the muscle and the nerve and the sinew and the bone is the process of digestion. It is by digestion that the outward food becomes assimilated with the inner life. Our souls are not nourished merely by listening a while to this and then to that and then to the other part of divine truth. No, Hearing, reading, marking, and learning all require inwardly digesting to complete their usefulness. And the inward digesting of the truth lies for the most part in meditating upon it. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons make but slow advances in the divine life because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's Word. They love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they would not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink it. 
from such folly deliver us, O Lord. And be this our resolve this morning, I will meditate on thy precepts. Is that so good? I hope you were able to catch some of what he was trying to describe and give us a picture. He's saying it's just not enough for us to glance over the very word of God. Why? Because it is the very word of God. And we are to meditate on it. And so we think about it. And what does that process look like? He, he, he likens it to the process of digestion. Uh, this past week I went to the dentist because I had a broken tooth. One of my wisdom teeth was, was broken. Never happened to me before. I've been to the dentist in many, many, many years. And you, you probably um, are like me, right? Many of you, right? And, and so it broke off and it was really bothering me. It was hurting and it was, you know, digging into my, 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 uh, my, my cheek and all that stuff and it was hurting. So I went to the dentist and, and, and he was able to, to fix it. But, you know, of course, I think what a lot of us like to do is before we go to the doctor, whatever, we kind of do our own research on the Internet. You know, we like to know a little bit more than the doctor, make sure he's doing it right. You know, and so I haven't been the dentist in a long time. I'm like, OK, so, oh, right. This is one of my wisdom teeth. And I'm type Googling in like, do I need my wisdom teeth? Can he just like pull this out? I don't know. And evidently, I guess you don't. But what are they there for? See, they help to break down the food. Yeah, you can do without them. In a sense, but why do we have them? Why did God give us our, our teeth? It's the beginning of the digestion process, isn't it? And so you're chewing it because like, like Spurgeon says, we don't just take it whole. He's like, how do we get all of the beautiful nutrients out of it? We digest it. And it starts with the way we chew it. And so we need all of our teeth in that sense to do it. Yeah, we can do without it, but that's what the teeth do when you're chewing and you're chewing. God created your mouth in a beautiful way to start breaking down the food so you can swallow it so your body can more easily digest it. Isn't that great? But why? Why does our body need to digest food? What's the purpose of that? We eat food. Yeah, it tastes good, but we eat it for life. We eat it for fuel. Why? Because of all of the nutrients that are in it. Well, when you eat those french fries and their donuts, you want all the nutrients that are in it, right? Just think about how your body's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to look good. I'm going to feel good, right? But no, we know the idea. We get it. We know enough about eating healthy and, and the foods to eat that. Why? Because there's nutrients in it that our body needs. There's vitamins and there's minerals and all that good stuff. But see, that's what happens when you start to chew it. And you just start that process and you chew it as bigger chunks, but then you swallow it and you start digesting it and all those beautiful nutrients get spread out, see, throughout your whole body and through your blood and wherever they're supposed to go. What Spurgeon is saying, it, that's exactly the way it is with the Word of God. He says, so we don't just take those big chunks because, first of all, we can choke on it, maybe misinterpret it, but then what happens is, if we don't digest it and meditate on it and let it do its thing within us, then we're not going to get all of the beautiful truth from it that can then help us to do His will. See, that's the whole, it's a beautiful picture. But that's the whole idea. And so I think what he's saying then, when he says, why is it that some Christians, even though they've heard many sermons because they go to church every Sunday, why is it? That they make such slow advances in divine life. He says, because they neglect their closets. 
He's saying because they neglect just getting away from it all and meditating on God's Word. And then that last, that last paragraph, it's so hard-hitting, but I think it's so true. You know what he says? He says, and maybe we are to take this personally because we all do this from time to time. It says, well, they love the wheat, but they don't grind it. It's like, yeah, I, I love the way the wheat tastes and it looks and it's good for me, but I don't want to take the effort to grind it and make it into something that's nutritious for me. You see what he's saying? He goes, well, they would like the corn, but they don't want to go out into the fields to gather it. Do you get a sense of what he's trying to say? It's like, yeah, we like the idea of the power of the Word of God. But how are we going to appropriate that for ourselves if we don't actually read it and maybe struggle with it and interact with it like Habakkuk did with the very Word of God? And he says, the fruit is hanging on the tree, but they don't want to pluck it. Did you ever hear that that phrase, low-hanging fruit? You know what that means? Like in any sense we use it, it means it's so easy to take. You go to pick some apples this fall, right? I love doing that. There's plenty of places around. You go pick some apples and yeah, I mean, you could go pick the apples at the top of the tree if you want, but how about you just take some of those beautiful ripe apples that are just hanging right there, the low hanging fruit. That's the easy part to do. And what he's saying here is he's telling us that Charles Spurgeon is saying, The Word of God is so accessible. It's right there. It's beautiful. It's this ripe fruit that will give us such sustenance and nutrients. And he says it's right there for the taking. It's right there, but you just don't want to reach out and grab it. Maybe we have our Bibles and they look so nice, but I think the first step he's saying is that's but we open them. (laughs) So we can start kind of just the chewing process, let alone letting it digest. And then he says, I love, the. maybe this is my favorite line. Just picture it. He says, the water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink it. He's telling us, see, God gives us this beautiful life-giving water. And he describes it like you're standing right in it. You're standing, it's right there. It's abundant for what you need. Jesus says that he is the water of life. Remember what he tells the Samaritan woman at the well? He goes, you drink from this water, you'll never thirst again. But it's right there for the taking. But he says too many people, they look down and they say, wow, look at all this beautiful water, this fresh, clean water that I need to live. I'm just too lazy to sort of stoop down and drink it up. You see the point he's trying to make, church? But I see that so clearly in Habakkuk's prayer. He's saying, Lord, I have heard the report of you and I fear them. Like, God, yes, I recognize who you are because I have struggled intensely with your very words. The things you have spoken to me, they didn't make sense. But yet I know who you are. And so therefore, can you just do those works again? I want to see it again. But what does it take? It takes that interaction. It takes that interaction with the word of God. And for us... That is the Holy Scriptures, the Old and the New Testament. That we would just interact with them. And that we would recognize that they are life-giving. The Word of God is alive and active. It is good for reproof and training and teaching and building us up and lifting us up. But sometimes we have to struggle with it. I've shared on a few occasions part of my story and my struggle with mental health issues, with with anxiety and depression. And I've shared uh, often that um, it began back in 1999 when we were moving out of state and there were some things that were going on in life that triggered it. I thought everything was great and everything was going well, but not in here. 
And it began a long journey of discovery of what it looks like to struggle with panic disorder, with anxiety and depression. And I know there's some of you that also struggle with that or have relatives or friends that do. But, you know, I bring it up again because I remember at the deepest part, uh, the darkest part of my struggles, that I would lay in bed, I couldn't get any sleep, and some of you can relate to that because my mind was going a mile a minute. I didn't know what was going on. All I had was the Word of God, and I would recite it over and over again. But still, even in that, I would struggle with it. One of those passages is Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10 is a beautiful passage, and it's meant so much to me. And it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. For I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It just gave me a beautiful picture of my Heavenly Father when I could not even stand in my own, and I could not even have confidence in even my next breath that He was holding me in His right hand of righteousness, just like a father would hold a, a newborn child. And he said, you don't have to fear, my child. I'm with you. And don't be worried or anxious or depressed because I'm your God. I'll give you the strength and I'll give you the help. Yes. But you know what? I didn't just read that once and say, okay, good, I got it. And now I'm good. I struggled with that scripture and others. Because I would recite it. And in my head I knew, yes, I believe it's true. And I've preached it before God, so I know it's true, and I've told people it's true, and I want to live it out, but it doesn't feel true right now. Because you say you're going to be my strength, but yet I'm falling apart. And so God, where is that strength? You said not to fear, but I just, I'm full of fear, and I don't even understand why I have all this this anxiety, and, and I'm so depressed, God, I don't even understand it. And see, it's that struggle. But out of that struggle... Out of that that deep, intense interaction with the very words of God, that truth, as I just had to digest it, became so real. Do you ever like have to eat something that you don't like because it's good for you? Right? Many of you are thinking, yeah, like broccoli maybe, you know? Or like you're a kid and you're like, you got to eat those things, it's not good for you. Why? But you need to go through that process, but it's like it's a struggle, But here I am in this very serious time and I'm laying there and I can just picture like it was yesterday. And I'm just struggling with this word of God. I know it's good for me. I know I need to get it in me so it can digest and and, and spread throughout all of my being and really just kind of overcome what was going on in, in my life. But see, I remember that like like so vividly because it was a struggle you know those things are the things we remember in life a lot don't we the struggles the difficulties but often it's because of what god did through it and see god brings habakkuk through this time of struggling with his word because habakkuk saying god you're not doing anything and god says yes i am and here's what i'm going to do and you're not going to believe it and habakkuk says i know i don't believe it how could you be doing that it's this whole back and forth but through it all at the end we see in chapter three he says okay you're right I have heard of who you are. I almost like forgot for a second who you are, God, but I've heard of your renown. And yes, and, and so can you just do it again? I'm sorry I forgot, but just do it again in my life like you did in the past to my ancestors and just be merciful. But see, that was like my prayer too. 
God, yes, your word says, fear not for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to hold you up with my righteous right hand. And I read it, but at first, at the first reading, the second, the third, the fourth reading, the tenth reading, it didn't mean anything. I knew it was true. And I read it out of obedience. And I recited it over and over. It was the only thing that would give me peace. But it took time. It took difficult struggle. It took a back and forth with God. And God, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? Don't you see what's going on? Like the Apostle Paul approaches the risen Christ and says, Jesus, I have this thorn in my side. Can you just remove it so I can be an even better witness for you? And Jesus says, no. Let my grace be sufficient for you. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says not yet. But in the meantime, it's okay to question God in the chaos. It's okay. But see, he gives us his word. And so we can meditate on it. And like Spurgeon is saying, it's right there for the taking. It's this beautiful water that flows at your feet. But you just have to stoop down to drink it. And drink it in. He calls it like like pressing and squeezing the grapes to get that beautiful, nutritious juice out of it. But it takes that, doesn't it? Sometimes in life it takes the pressing. It takes the crushing. And that's when we get all those wonderful nutrients to help sustain us and to give us that life. I want to end with this story. Um <clears throat> There is in Second Chronicles 20 this really amazing story. I'm just going to kind of recount it. I won't read it for you. Of King Jehoshaphat, and maybe you remember that from Sunday school that name. And and uh, he was a pretty good king, and he was the king of the the southern tribes at the time when they were split. And and the king of the northern tribe at the time was Ahab, King Ahab, and you've probably heard of him. And and he was the evil king, and 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 uh, King Jehoshaphat was pretty good. But here it was, like he was, a, he was a guy, a king who wanted to, to fear God and to do the right thing. But you know what? He kind of made some bad choices. Do you ever feel like King Jehoshaphat? Like you want to do the right thing, but you just make some bad choices. And so he made some poor choices along the way. And God was sparing him. But finally in this story in Second Chronicles 20, what happens is God takes his hand of protection in a sense off of King Jehoshaphat and the people of the southern tribes of Judah and and the people, the uh, other nations are going to come and war against them. And so some of his spies come back and just say, King, you're not going to believe it, but they're coming out against us. And the king realizes, wow, I guess i got to do something now. And so what he does is he calls for a national fa- uh, fast and prayer. And as they are, the whole nation, it says, are on their knees and on their faces praying to God... This something really cool happens. The worship team stands up. The choir of the people, all of these, the people uh, that were that were serving in the tabernacle to lead worship and to lead the people in singing of praises to God, they stood up and they started praising God. See, because what happened was God had promised to the king, said, don't worry, the battle belongs to me. I will fight this battle for you. And so they go out into battle, but you know what the king does? The king sends the worship team before him. He sends them out. He doesn't send his his greatest sharpshooters. He doesn't send them out first. He sends out the singers 
to praise God. Because God had made a promise that he would uphold him. And so the king said, this time I'm going to stand on God's promise. God's promise to take care of me and to lift us up. And he's going to protect me, maybe in a different way. I don't know, but he's going to do it. So we're going to praise him. So they go out to praise him. And you know what God does? God allows them to win that battle without having to lift a finger. Because he confuses all the enemies and they fight each other. And they win the battle without having to fight the battle. Because God said the battle is mine. See, that's what happens when we interact with the Word of God, church, is we recognize this is the truth that God has given us, and He has lots of promises in there. So if He told me, if He told me not to fear and to not be worried because He's my God, then I have to rely on that. Even if I don't quite understand it, I don't see the results, I rely on that. And what's my my response? What's our response to be? We praise Him. We praise Him. We praise Him in the midst of all those struggles, and you're going to see that is the theme, church, of His song, which we will look at next week and finally the week after. That's His song to God. God, I've struggled. I've struggled with You and Your Word. I know it's true, and yes, I've heard of Your renown. I kind of forgot, but God, I'm just going to praise You. No matter what's going on, however You choose to do it, I'm going to praise You. And that's what He does. Can we do that now? Can we just praise God? And so the worship team, just you know, they're going to come up and, and lead us in a last song, and we would just praise God. So whatever is going on in your life, whatever this week will hold, and we don't know what it's going to look like. you got stuff on your calendars, but you don't know exactly how it's all going to unfold. Let's just start it just by, by going into whatever the spiritual battle might be. Or maybe it's just a week of where you're praising God. You're just praising God, but we're going to say we're going to start our week by being reminded of the power of the Word of God that we are to read it, meditate on it, digest it, but all the while praising Him for who He is, because He is a God who makes promises, and we can stand on those promises like Habakkuk learned to do, like King Jehoshaphat learned to do, like we should learn to do.